It's the Lament Configuration Horror Podcast. My name's Greg Knox, and I'm joined by someone who looks like Paris Hilton, but it's less likely to appear in amateur porn. It's our resident body count girl, Rhea Fend. <laughs> Thanks, Greg. Always a wonderful introduction, as always. I am back for another episode because, well, those bodies will not count themselves, will they? No, no. We are needed very much to do that job. Otherwise, we'd have to outsource it to... Uh, India, I guess, or whatever. <laughs> I don't know. Wherever they outsource things to, I don't know. Yeah. I don't want you people Usually. to think I'm not PC, everybody. There are other countries you can outsource work to. It's just in my company, they outsource work to India because it's cheaper. So, Same. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's all getting outsourced. It's all getting outsourced, <laughs> exactly. And uh, moving away from that sort of slightly on PC note that I've decided to start the show on because I'm in a bit of a funny <laughs> mood everybody um, what we're going to talk about today it's the second of our shows on Italian horror films so on the last show we discussed Italian slasherific kind of films but on the show today we're doing Italian supernatural films ooh super spooky so um, expect sort of discussions that are of a well <laughs> fuck I mean just you know listen to the show as it's been so far it started off great Already on a very offensive nature. Yeah. So uh, just while we're on that subject, uh, you can expect spoilers, explicit language, and um, other things that we discuss of an adult nature that might possibly offend you. Don't say you haven't been warned. No. Basically. No, I mean, fuck, I say you've been listening to the show. If you've not switched off already, then... Well, I mean, if you've been listening to all our shows, you know what to expect by now, surely. We are the most yeah. irreverent horror show probably on the whole internet, I would say. We just don't care, so we'll just talk about pretty much anything. <laughs> what we care about is horror, so welcome to the Lament Configuration Podcast. <laughs> on a more serious note, uh, I want to start with our first film for the show today, which is by Dario Argento. This is second film on the Video Nasties list. And this is Inferno, which is slightly different from the other film that we discussed. So on a couple of shows ago, we discussed Tenebrae, which is a giallo. Now, this was Dario Argento's follow-up to Suspiria. So quick history lesson about Dario Argento. So he made three Jallo films. He tried to make a film that was very different from Jallo because he got bored, made fuck all money. So he had to go back and make another Jallo, which was Deep Red, which is very, very successful. He then made Suspiria, which is his most well known film. And this is the follow up to that film. And all I will say about it is that it makes absolutely fuck all sense. So yeah. <laughs> if you like Suspiria, this is going to be very, very similar to that. In fact, it's probably a film that makes less sense even than Suspiria. Very true, and it's similarly styled and lit in that beautiful red and blue as we have known throughout other Jello films. Um, you've got the classic leather gloves and the um, knife blade, and you've got your typical murderer going around sort of a haunted house-esque type building. Um, but I'll give you the synopsis for this one particular one, which is incredibly similar to Suspiria, but slightly less um, easy to follow, let's say. <laughs> so it's a 1980 film. I think all three of these films that we're going to discuss today are actually, yeah, the same year, 1980. And the synopsis is an American college student in Rome and his sister who lives in New York investigate a series of killings in both locations where their resident addresses are the domain of two covens of witches. 
So what I would say about this film, as I said, you know, literally just now, is that really, if you're approaching this film wanting it to make sense, wanting it to be logical, you are basically kidding yourself. This film, as I said, it makes absolute fuck all sense. Uh, Suspiria, although it's very dreamlike and it's very, very illogical in a lot of ways, it had a plot at the centre of it, which was about Susie Banyan in the ballet school and basically her sort of discovering what's going on at this ballet school with Coven of Witches. Mm. This film is very, very different. To me, this film is like a loose collection of scenes tied together with a very, very kind of slim plot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, they've got this... Um, book from an antique shop which is like a rare book called Three Mothers which the plot revolves around Um, they've got the antique shop which is um, Kazanian Antiques I think that's how you pronounce it Um, then it's kind of loosely connected with some keys that they're looking for which um, you get clues of in this book The Three Mothers which is apparently known in both these locations and Essentially, it does feel like a haunted house film, really. Um, most of the film is spent walking around this um, rather impressive mansion-type house and different locations that feel really similar. Plus, you've got a similar setup as Suspiria because instead of the ballet school, you've got a music school. Yeah, sort of. Uh, the music school elements are very, very muted in comparison to Suspiria. So there is one very key scene that happens about 20 minutes into the film that takes place at this music school where this very beautiful striking woman appears stroking a cat during the middle of a lecture and then she disappears and no one can really see her, which is when I say this film is very dreamlike. So Mm, it has the feeling of a dream. So obviously the main criticism that people throw at the film is, well, it doesn't make any sense. But if you're going to make a film like this, it doesn't have to make sense. Yeah, because it is really dreamlike. The The use of the cats in the film is very creepy. It's quite well done. Uh, maybe a little over the top in places, but like you say, it is dreamlike. I think I know which scene you're talking about. <laughs> There's one scene in particular that I really love. Uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a very interesting scene. When we uh, go on to talk about the deaths, I think we'll go into that one in a bit more detail because it's quite amusing. Yeah, I imagine as uh, watching this film as a cat dad yourself, you're probably just wincing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there are things as the owner of a cat that I'm very used to seeing. For example, a cat eating a mouse. That's uh, something, if you own cats, you'll have seen at least once, either a mouse or a bird or a frog or something like that. So it didn't really <laughs> shock me. <laughs> yep, okay. Well, yeah, you are used to cats. I am not, but I think it's used quite well in this film, so we will get into that later um something else to discuss here and i'm just trying to uh, contrast this with suspiria and i can't quite remember um does argento quite like his films to be a wet t-shirt competition because it does (laughs) seem to be in this film (laughs) (laughs) well argento does like water water is something that is prevalent in a lot of his films uh particularly in the 70s and the 80s so, yes, in this film in particular, there, it rains quite a lot. There is a very key scene right at the start of the film where there is a huge body of water. There's a scene that takes place in a river, I think. I think yeah. it's supposed to be a river or a pond or something. So, yeah, Argento does love water. 
Argento is weird that you bring that up because Argento is probably, along with maybe Mario Bava, I would say the least sleazy of the Italian directors of this period. Well, I think he did ban bras from the set of this film because <laughs> okay. there aren't any. And like the first scene that you see that in is where she goes to get the keys from the basement and she essentially goes into what looks like a small puddle, but it ends up being an entire room underneath, which is quite amazing, actually. It's um, The sets are amazing in this film. Really loved watching those. Um, and it's really well shot, even, you know, the underwater aspects of it are very well shot. Oh, yeah, it's incredibly well shot. So it's actually probably one of my favourite scenes in the whole film. It's, uh, yeah, I say, literally it's in the first sort of 15 minutes of the film is this shot of this character who's rose who is played interestingly by irene miracle who was in the night train murder she was one of the girls that gets killed in that film um and yeah what happens is that she goes looking for this key she drops her keys in yeah what you think is like going to be just a puddle and turns out to be this whole i don't know less many many feet deep underwater kind of I don't know. It's, what it's like another room, isn't it? It's like another room. There's like chandeliers down there, and you can see a carpet and some furniture. It's quite amazing. Yeah, and God knows why it's there. It, that doesn't really matter, as I said. But yeah, what happens is she manages to swim down there to try and get this key. Turns out that there's some kind of dead body down there that maybe tries to attack her. It just reminded me of the scene in Jaws, you know, where he's underwater and he's snorkeling and the dead body appears in the boat. Yeah, it reminded me of that as well, and it is quite startling, and even though it is obvious that it's a a practical effect and it's just a prosthetic, a fake um, dead body, it does look quite effective, actually. It's like a body with a skinless face with some skeleton showing through, Um, and it is quite startling when she sees it. Yeah, now interestingly, this scene that we're talking about was very, very heavily sort of second unit directed i should say by mario bava the great italian Mm -hmm. director we already discussed one of his films on a previous show bay of blood and he was sort of a very inspirational figure for argento so bava what he did he used to be a cinematographer like we said previously and what Mm -hmm. he was really good at is he was good at making these shots that seemed unbelievable and made them look much better but actually didn't have a lot of there wasn't really as much going on as it appeared so he kind of made the most use of what he had available to him to create these shots which looked absolutely amazing and impressive and looked like they cost thousands but probably cost like hundreds yeah that's great it's really awesome and what i like about it as well is the sound design because what they've done is when she's underwater it the sound on the the foley i guess whatever they're using it sounds like how water sounds when it goes in your ears when you're underwater. Yeah, I loved that as well. And I really felt like as she went deeper to get these keys, it was so tense because she had to hold her breath for longer. You're almost watching it holding your breath yourself. And then when she had to come back up, I had a feeling she wouldn't be able to find the hole quite as easily because it's quite a small hole. And then she really panics when she's trying to get out because she's been holding her breath for quite a long time. And because you've got this like underwater sound going on and and she's panicking, it does make you feel really closed in and worried that she's not going to make it out. And it's such a, a fantastic scene. It's really tense. Yeah, and as you said, like the production design generally in the whole film is absolutely incredible. I mean, it's very similar to Suspiria in the lighting as well. So you've got the very, very bright red 
in the lighting, very, very bright red walls. You've got bright blue lighting. You've got bright green lighting and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So it's very similar in that that regard. I think the interior of the building is supposed to be similar to the building in Suspiria because I think the idea is, is that the buildings were designed by the same person. Yeah, I really loved the old library. I thought that was absolutely stunning. Um, it was amazing. And also I really loved the scenes where you could see the front of the antique shop and you could see them talking inside. You could see the silhouettes. Um, and it was really old fashioned, like say, um, like that 1940s kind of noir style, but with this injection of colour. So not a lot really to see aside from just the silhouettes and you can hear them talking and just the shop front through the window, which I just thought was um, beautifully set up. Yeah, so Argento uses a lot of the same behind-the-scenes people as he has done in previous films. So the production designer and special effects artists are the same that he used on films like Deep Red and Suspiria, Tenebrae, Opera. So he's got his uh, regular collaborators together. And yeah, you can tell because... As I said, like it looks absolutely amazing. I mean, you can't deny, even if you don't like the film itself, it looks incredible. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't particularly engaged with this film or the plot. I much preferred Suspiria. But visually, it does keep me engaged and it is unique. Um, he's definitely got his own signature style. And with the crew that he uses, um, they have gone their own way with it. It's very distinctive looking. Yes. Uh, now... It's interesting you bring up the scene with the library because I would say that whole section there is probably my favourite in the whole film. Now, I like the scene with underwater and stuff like that. That's amazing. But there's something about the scene where you've got a character called Sarah who's in this library after closing time and she sneaks downstairs and you're in this room where you've got burning pots everywhere and yeah yeah yeah, it just the way that that looks to me with the fire and the burning pots and just the overall decor in the room itself and the way it's lit the way it's framed to me that's just you know unbelievable yeah it's beautiful i mean the actual library itself upstairs i did love anyone who hasn't seen this film if you're familiar with ghostbusters you'll know what a what a huge what a huge gothic library looks like and um this is by no means different i mean um because it is in new york as well um they were obviously quite similar back then in the 80s i think yeah you'll be surprised at the number of italian films from this period that are set in new york as we will discuss coming up mm. uh, um so yeah i agree so the the plot itself, as you said, you've got scenes that are supposed to take place in New York and then you've got scenes that are supposed to take place in Rome and there's this weird kind of, they'll be in Rome in one minute and then the next minute they'll suddenly be in New York and yeah, it's just it feels very weird. Well, you know, when in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> ah, Jesus Christ. Um, what did you think of the music in the film? Because the music is a bit of a sticking point for some people because it's not done by Goblin. It's done by Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake and Palmer. Well, um, I liked it. Um, I've, I've noted down here that when Sarah is going through the rainstorm and she's returning the letter so she gets in the taxi, there's some really cool music on then. Um, the dub is not that over the top and the music... Um, 
I don't know if I've noted down that I thought it was like especially amazing, but it's it's pretty cool. I liked it. Yeah, I would say that my favourite part of the whole score is sort of the key song, um, which happens sort of over the end credits, because that's probably one of my favourite songs used in all of Argento's films, I would say. Yeah, I did actually note that down. The music at the end is great. It's really awesome. It's very bombastic. Mm-hmm, I agree. Yeah, I'm quite curious why Goblin didn't do this film, actually, because it's quite weird, because they did, obviously, Deep Red, they did Suspiria, and then they did Tenebrae, like we discussed previously, so I'm not sure why they didn't do this one. Yeah, I thought that as well. I mean, maybe there's a chance that they were actually just busy at that point and couldn't do it, because it seems weird that he wouldn't use them. Yeah, it's most, most bizarre. Um, What was your favourite death in the whole film? Hmm, okay, so let's see. Um, I did actually count nine deaths in this film, and hmm, favorite death. Let's see. Um, well, should I give you mine? Yeah, you go first. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so my favorite death in the whole film would be the death of Sarah by the windows sort of jamming down on her neck over and over and over again. So it's very, very weird. It feels very odd. I mean, the whole film feels very odd and dreamlike anyway, but this death in particular, because how it's set up is she's wandering around this house. It's very dark, apart from the red lighting used sort of very, very randomly. And then she gets grabbed by these two kind of very, very old-looking hands and holds Mm -hmm. her in place. She gets impaled on these nails in the windowsill. And then the hand sort of grabs the window and sort of jams it down on her neck, but not all the way. It kind of just, it feels like it stops right at her neck and then it does it again and again. Yeah, that's so weird. It's like a guillotine, isn't it? Yeah, and it kind of felt like a death that takes place right at the start of Suspiria, where you've got something very, very similar that happens where you've got someone's sort of head being pulled through a window. I think Argento must like that because it happens in quite a few of his films. But yeah, it just mm. something about it just feels very odd as well. Feels very eerie. I wouldn't say the film is scary as such, but it does have this very, very uncomfortable feel to it. Maybe because it's so dreamlike. Maybe because of the way it's done with the music as well, stuff like that. Yeah, that death is really cool. It, it um, definitely made me wince, and it's quite detailed as well with the way that you see the nails. Um, probably my favorite death. Um, is Mr. Kazanian who gets eaten by rats with red eyes and then his neck gets cut with a knife by a guy from a catering van selling <laughs> hot dogs and burgers. Yeah. That's right after he, t- he tries to take a bag of um, screaming and screeching cats and drown them in a lake We've whilst all been he's there. on crutches. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's also another one where like the one of the like which is the kind of the nurse or the sister from the um big sort of mansion house she drops a candle she sets the curtain on fire she tries to put it out and then she falls out of the window wrapped up in the curtain and she burns to death that's quite epic i think like the stunt work on that would have been very cool to witness yeah that one is quite yeah, I don't know how to feel about that one because, in a way, it's kind of her own fault that she dies because there's this curtain that's on fire and then she pulls it down on top of herself while it's burning. So it's like, you could have not done that and you'd probably still be alive. 
Yeah, exactly. I think it's supposed to give you like the satisfaction that she's because she's not a good person. So you're supposed to feel quite satisfied that she's kind of killed herself and, um, you know, she's finished herself off, uh, which is getting her just desserts. Yeah, I mean, the death of Kazanian is pretty, again, very uncomfortable, I think, because it goes on for quite a long time. I think that's kind of how I felt about it because, I mean, for those people who haven't seen the film, so he's on crutches and, yeah, he's got this bag of cats because his shop is infested with cats. And so he's got them in a bag and he tries to dump them in a river and he goes in the river on his crutches, which is like, why have you done that? doesn't really make sense. Um, And then, yeah, he falls over face first in the river and then all these hundreds upon hundreds of rats appear and start eating him. And they've got red uh, flashing eyes. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> they're like super evil rats. Yeah. And he's like, oh, they're eating me alive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and also it takes place during an eclipse as well. I don't know if that means anything. I know earlier in the film they did mention, oh, there's going to be an eclipse tonight. Ooh, very, very scary. And then, yeah, that happens. So I don't know if the eclipse is kind of meant to indicate that it's this very, I don't know, like it makes everyone go crazy, I suppose. Yeah, I think so. There's a lot of references to the moon, which don't make a lot of sense, but just kind of adds to the atmosphere, I guess. And he's like saying, oh, God, my crutch. (laughs) She's really funny. Yeah, I mean, because it's an Italian film, you do kind of have to accept that the uh, dubbing is not going to be that great. Yeah, it's always like that, isn't it? And you've got the the effects a little bit ropey, but they're quite charming and old school in a very 80s way. So uh, the rats do look quite fake at times, but, you know, it has got that charm, that kind of old school horror charm that we do like, so it's okay. (laughs) Yeah, and the scene with the cats that you refer to, that's Daria Nicolodi. So she doesn't have a very big role in this film either. She's only in the film for about 10 minutes, and then, yeah, she gets dispatched by lots of cats attacking her at once. Yeah, and then she gets stabbed as well, doesn't she? She does indeed, yes. Although it's quite weird how it's done in that there's lots of close-ups. I think that's Argento's thing. Like uh, Umberto Lenzi and Jess Franco, for example, they'll use lots of zooms in their films, whereas with Argento he uses lots of close-ups. Normally it's of inanimate objects, uh, so he's a very good visual storyteller in his films. But yeah, in this case you'll have shots of cats' mouths eating. Uh, There's one scene where someone cuts these very, very very nice cut of meat i have to say and then feeds it to its cat it's very very sort of spoiled cat being given like <laughs> these very very nice cuts of meat and yeah so you've got the cat eating the mouse that i referred to earlier and then you've got yeah like these cats scratching and biting daria nicolodi yeah and i think the close-ups also mask the fact that the cats probably aren't as menacing as they sound and then they've got the foley over the top which does make it sound a lot more menacing so it's like clever cropping to imply that it's a lot more vicious than than you actually see in real life which you know is um it looks great as well but it's it's a very clever way to sort of portray it now the acting in the film is it's okay it's not horrible 
But what did you think of the lead actor? Because it's quite interesting. I don't know about you, but I preferred the first half of the film to the second half. The first half, there isn't really that much dialogue. There's barely any dialogue at all, really. It's more, like I said, it's a very visual film. So it's one set piece and then another set piece and another set piece. And then when the character of Mark is introduced properly... It's. I don't know if it's because the actor didn't really know what was going on or he thought, what's my motivation? What's actually going on here? But he kind of felt a little bit flat for a lot of the film. Yeah, I agree. I preferred the first half and thought that it did pull you in a bit more. And then the second half did feel a little bit flat, like he wasn't as involved as he should have been. You kind of forgot who he was at that point. It, it felt like there was quite a lot of distance between the first part and the second part. It wasn't properly connected. Yeah, because I would say that this film overall is very underrated in terms of Argento's films up to opera, I would say, because unfortunately that it comes after his best and most well-known film, and it's very similar. In fact, it's, well, it's part of this what is called the Free Mothers Trilogy, which Suspiria was not intended to be the first part of a trilogy, but because it did so well, I think they kind of expanded on the mythology that it introduced, and that's why there's all this talk of the Free Mothers and things like that. Yeah, it explains, it breaks it down into the three different types, which is obviously the other titles of the other films, um, and the key song that we were talking about does actually have the word Suspiria um, repeatedly in it, which is pretty cool, but also kind of weird because it this isn't the film Suspiria. For me, it was a little too similar. Like, I feel like they should have gone more different, but I did appreciate it. It's a very beautiful film and liked watching it from that point of view. Um, but yeah, a little ridiculous in places and needed to make more sense. Yeah, so it is about like a huge evil building with lots of red interior. It looks very, very similar. I think it's shot very, very similarly as well. So yeah, I can see why there's all these huge comparisons to Suspiria. I mean, it's kind of almost inevitable. But I think it's very, very unfair. Because I would say the first half of this film, I was really, really engaged. Like, I didn't notice the time going at all. Now, admittedly, that's probably because I like the film and I've seen it before. But when you're watching a film and you're bored and you just want the film to get the fuck on with it, <laughs> you know, you are obviously going to look at the clock a lot more. Whereas I didn't really do that just because even though, yeah... The, no clue what's going on half the time or why you're just entranced by what you're looking at yeah i agree it did feel a little slower in the second half and i was really engaged in the first half so it's not just you yeah and the last thing i think i'll probably say on this one is it's quite interesting comparing a film like this which is a supernatural horror film from Italy compared to other supernatural horror films that I've seen sort of around this period. So if you take Barber's supernatural horror films like Black Sunday or Kill Baby Kill or the segments of Black Sabbath, for example, they are supernatural films that take place in the past. And Roger Corman did this as well with films like Mask of the Red Death, Pit of the Pendulum, um, yeah, other films like were based on the uh, Edgar Allan Poe stories and stuff like that. So when you set films in the past, I don't know if the idea is because they're already set in the past, they won't date. But it's quite weird that Argento, what he does is he has all these supernatural films, but they're set in the present day. So they kind mm -hmm. of feel very different to a lot of those films. And I think in a way that kind of works better, in my opinion. 
Yeah, it definitely works for him, but I don't think everybody's able to do it as well. So, yeah, I agree. He almost has this kind of timeless look to it, though, like it is kind of um, very old-fashioned looking itself with the, you know, quite traditional haunted house look, like I said. Um, almost like 40s or 30s influenced um, and almost like a little bit sort of hammer horror influence. So I think that's why it doesn't seem like it's aged too much and it does um, seem to uh, live on very well. Yeah, and I would say anyone who's seen this film before who likes this film, uh, there's a more modern horror film that I've actually talked about on a different show, which is called The Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears, which is by the Belgian directors of Bruno Forzani and Helena Catet. And I would say that a lot of this film is actually present in the way that that film is very heavily stylized. In fact, the plot is kind of similar because it's set in a building and you've got all these pipes that kind of connect all the rooms together and people can listen to other rooms and things like that. And even the use of close-ups and the editing techniques used in that film are very similar to this film. So yeah, if you like Inferno, like I do, I heavily recommend Strange Colour of Your Body's Tears as well. Mm, I still need to see that actually. It's one of the ones on my list to watch. It's a very, very long list, I'm sure, these days. Yeah, it's always uh, gathering more. Research, Greg, research. (laughs) Yes. Um, So overall, I really, really like this film. Of all the video nasties we've watched, I would say this is probably one of my favourites. I say I love the look, love the style, I love the music, um, I love just the feel of it. It's this real dreamlike feel. You don't really get films like this anymore where they just don't really make any sense, but you're just overwhelmed by the visuals. It's just, Yeah. yeah, it's so good. So, so good. But is it a video nasty? That's the key question. Um, I'm going to say no. Yeah, I totally agree. Again, I, I mean, I can kind of see why if you're offended by a cat eating a mouse, why you might put it on the, uh, the video nasties list. But that's something that happens in the wild a lot. <laughs> well, not even in the wild, in people's houses. If you, uh, you know, have a mouse problem and you buy a cat, cats they tend to like eating animals be it mice or birds or other random creatures Mm -hmm. shall we say so it's not really something that person would find shocking it's not something i would think would uh, deprave someone let's put it that way yeah it's uh, mother nature and natural course of things um i i mean i like I enjoyed learning about Jello films. Not as big a fan as you are, but definitely appreciate it historically within horror and love the visual effects. Um, so I did like this film, but not um, as high up on my list as as you, I think. Cool. That's very, very interesting that you say that, because we are coming sort of quite close to the end of uh, our video nasty discussions. So, uh, yeah, it's about near that time where we kind of discuss kind of like what's your favorite and what's your least favorite and things of that nature but i won't spoil too much for now but yes just uh yeah keep your eyes peeled let's just put it that way um so that's inferno made by one of uh, the best directors i think in the history of horror made by certainly one of the best directors in the history of italian horror cinema um now argento he is quite famous in other ways because he had a lot of directors that were protégés of his. So uh, Mario Bava's son, Lamberto Bava, is quite a uh, well-known example of that, as is Michele Suave, as is the director of the next film we're going to talk about, which is Luisi Cozzi. 
which uh, now the interesting thing about Kotze is he actually, I don't know if he owns it or he runs it or if he just manages it because Argenta, I imagine, is very busy, um, but he actually is... You know, if you go to Dario Argento's museum and shop in Rome, you will meet Luigi Cozzi. Yeah, very cool. Yes, because he, uh, yeah, he runs it for Argento. So yeah, if uh, yeah, you're a big fan of Argento, like I am, I've actually never been to Italy before. I would love to go to it to visit his museum, mm-hmm. where you see all these uh, bits and pieces for all his films and buy bunch of merchandise of his um anyway Kotze is a director obviously in his own right you'll be surprised to learn he has actually directed a giallo quite a good giallo actually it's called the killer must kill again Mm. which uh i actually quite recommend it's a pretty good giallo this film is contamination which also goes by the alternative title of alien contamination (laughs) contamination alien on earth and a slightly more generic sort of title, Toxic Spawn, which makes it sound kind of like a Toxic Avenger-style movie, I think. But uh, it's not really what it's about. This one, when you read up about it, people say, well, this film just rips off Alien. I think there's a little bit more to it than that. But uh, Rhea will let you know kind of what the actual synopsis of the film is. Yeah, again, it's a 1980 film. The synopsis, a former astronaut helps a government agent and a police detective track down the source of some mysterious alien pod spores that are filled with lethal flesh-dissolving acid. Um, and he traces this to a South American coffee plantation controlled by alien pod clones. <clears throat> now, I totally get the uh, reference to alien. It does feel a bit like an alien rip-off. But <clears throat> I also compared this to possibly um, War of the Worlds, um also if you've ever seen something like the stuff and street trash a bit like that um with the kind of coffee front on it and also oddly enough maybe like little shop of horrors with like audrey 2 um <laughs> which you have to watch right to the end to get that reference um but yeah it's it's an odd one i have to say it felt incredibly long but it's only an hour and 35 minutes um and it is a sci-fi horror so uh, happen to think this was a little bit tedious it's a little bit of an odd one what did you think greg yeah so apart from the uh alien influences shall we say because in italian horror cinema what there is a tendency to do is whatever has come out in america made lots of money the italians will decide back in those days let's rip this off let's just take the same idea do it for less money and kind of just do it ourselves and claim it's like a sequel so there probably was an alternative title for this film which is like alien 2 uh (laughs) wouldn't surprise me um so to me yes there are elements in this that are very similar to alien i thought because i'd never seen the film before i watched it for the show and to me i expected it to be set mostly in space I don't know why. I think that's probably because one of Kotze's previous films that I haven't mentioned is a Star Wars ripoff starring a very young David Hasselhoff called Star Crash. So <laughs> I think I expected it to be uh, like that. That film is also notoriously bad, by the way, just to point it out. Um, With the Hoffmeister in it. <laughs> young Hoff, yes, indeed. Um, so yeah, I expected it to be more like that, but most of it well in fact indeed all of it bar a flashback is sort of set on earth so i was like okay this is a bit different from what i was expecting to me it's a mix of alien invasion of the body snatchers and i would also say 
a really kind of shit James Bond movie. Yeah, I agree. And then the fact that this is all kind of in the jungle with the tribes for most part of it, which I have to say I did expect it to be set in space as well. So I was quite surprised that we were in the jungle <laughs> for most of the film. Um, it does kind of have that sort of cannibal holocaust sort of feel to that aspect of it, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. So these random scenes that sort of take place in the jungle in South America that do kind of have a sort of cannibal holocaust feel. I think you're right. And also because you've got a scene set in New York. Now, have you seen Zombie Flesh Eaters yet? No, I haven't, but I definitely need to see this film. Well, we're going to watch it in a couple of shows' time because it was a video nasty directed by Mr. Lucio Fulci, godfather Mm -hmm. of Gore himself. Um, And yet the start of that film and the start of this film are very, very similar because you've got it set in New York, as you will see by sort of lots of overhead shots of New York. So you've got Statue of Liberty, you've got the Twin Towers in there, so very, very typical. And Cannibal Ferox as well. Like, what Mm. is it about Italian films from this period that's like, shit, right, we've got a set in New York, going to have all these shots of New York so people know, yep, it's an American film. Look, look at it, we're in America. (laughs) Yeah, I know, crazy. And uh, one other surprising aspect of this film is that the music is by Goblin in this film. Yes, so very, very strange. The last film by Dario Argento, no goblin score. This film, there is a goblin score, believe it or not. So I wouldn't say it's one of Goblin's better scores, but you can definitely tell it's them. And I would say it's the second best thing that happens in the film itself. The best thing, of course, being the many, many, many stomach explosions that take place. Oh yeah, so cool. And if you like films like I do, such as um, The Stuff or Street Trash, you'll understand what I mean. Um, I quite like the fact that a consumer product then turns out to be something quite sinister. Um, It's got this sort of satirical feel to it that, you know, big corporations might be plotting against us or the government might be plotting against us and they're doing it under the cover of this whole uh, coffee plantation which is quite cool yeah that's such a strange angle to do because i thought like why is there so much coffee why are they making such a big thing about coffee and then it's like oh it's because they're based in south america yeah okay uh, that makes sense but oh, i get it yeah they call this coffee universe which is weird <laughs> yeah it's uh yeah there's some very very strange elements so basically when i went into this i was expecting like a full-blown kind of you know, sci-fi type film, and yeah, you get your eggs, which I think that's what they call them, but they at one point a character says, well, they're not actually eggs, they're actually sort of these sort of synthetic life forms or whatever they are. But then, yeah, just for the rest of the film, they just call them eggs, just to be a bit lazy, I guess. Um, yeah. So you've got these eggs, which don't really look very threatening, because they're just eggs, they don't move, they just explode. Yeah, well, um, the reference for the War of the Worlds is the fact that um, the eggs, they make this kind of really sad, um, mournful sound, but it does sound a bit like Foghornish, and if you like War of the Worlds and you've seen the Tom Cruise version of the film, um, you'll remember that they have this kind of foghorn sound whenever the Martians are around, so I thought it was quite similar to that. Yeah, yeah, I thought that kind of worked quite well, apart from in the one scene that everyone talks about. So you've got a character who's this sort of female lieutenant who the guys, because it's an Italian film in the 80s, obviously they're quite macho. Um, they're talking about how this woman, you know, she's quite cold, you know, probably because she's in power. And at one point she decides to have a shower, as <laughs> you do. A shower takes place, I think, in every Italian film at some point. So this 
evil guy Hamilton, who is sort of our, our main villain in the film, he he tries to bump off this woman by putting an egg in her bathroom. And the thing is, the egg doesn't move. It's just it's just there making this noise for about five minutes. And this woman <laughs> sort of tries to get out of the room. She sort of struggles to open the door and she just completely fails. And she's really, really shit scared of this egg that's not doing anything. <laughs> it's just yeah. sat there going, uh, 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 <laughs> uh, Oh, even uh, better. Uh. It's like she gives up. She doesn't even carry on trying to get out when she thinks that it's going to explode and then her insides are going to explode, which I don't think I would give up trying to get out if I thought that was going to happen. But then the evil guy, Hamilton, who's sat in the restaurant, telepathically knows that the egg didn't destroy her and he feels it because he's so well connected with it and i totally knew what was going to be at the end of this film by the way because if you watch the title um credits like the title sequence at the beginning it actually credits somebody that created the monster at the end and names what the monster is which is the cyclops and it ruins it. Like, why didn't they put that credit at the end instead of spoiling it? I was like, I know it's not that impressive, but I still didn't want it to be ruined within the first two minutes of the film. No, uh, I get what you mean. But at the same time, I think that's kind of what they did in those days. I think nowadays they would just call them creature effects or special makeup effects or something like that. Mm, yeah, just kind of pointed out exactly what, what the end... A monster would be which kind of ruined it what did you think of the end monster the cyclops because i thought it actually looked quite cool i thought for a practical effect i thought it was pretty convincing apart from ironically enough the eye the eye yeah. kind of looked a bit shit i'm not gonna lie the eye looked like a yellow flashing light bulb like any random light bulb that you just screw into a uh uh, fixture so that was a bit shit but the rest of it like the skin and the way the guy got gobbled up at the end like as though you know like when a snake eats someone and it kind of swallows them whole and like keeps eating it just like opens its esophagus and just eats the whole thing and um, it was kind of like that and it um yeah it was quite like effective realistic looking practical effects but the eye did ruin it unfortunately <laughs> Yeah, it kind of made it look a bit sort of, mm, okay, hokey, I would say. It was not like, I mean, it, and to me also, it sort of reminded me of the creature in possession. I don't know about you, but it did remind mm. me of that a little bit. But the creature in possession, because it was done by Carlo Rambaldi, who's a fucking genius, and these kind of things, it looked very, very convincing. Whereas this sort of did, but it had the one detail that made it look a bit cheap and cheesy. Yeah, for me, it was a little too cheesy. I think the possession um, beast was way, way more convincing and effective and like quite scary. Um, whereas this one, I quite liked it from like a sci-fi crappy point of view. Um, but this Cyclops monster is a bit of a basic bitch compared to possession <laughs> beast. Um, as well, I have got noted down here that um, the main Colonel woman, Stella, Colonel Stella Holmes, that she is a bit of a pompous bint as well. She's quite annoying throughout the whole film. Like, I get it that she's supposed to be like uh, one of these 80s sort of power mad females. But yeah, she was a bit annoying. <laughs> yeah, um, probably what didn't help is uh, a lot of the, uh, as you would expect from a film like this, very cheesy dialogue. 
of which there is quite a bit in this film, and such choice nuggets that I will present to you guys right now. Um, at one point, a character says, talking about the eggs, I don't believe these belong to our planet. And then she says, you mean they come from outer space? <laughs> I'm like, right, okay. <laughs> it's kind of self-evident. Yeah, and it's really funny that they then talk about this expedition to Mars and how somebody didn't make it back, and it's like, oh, it's just so kind of cliché. Um, and she like delivers a few kind of quips to the guys to kind of put them in the place, which is again is a little annoying because she's just a bit too over the top for my liking. But she says what something at one point to Hubbard. Um, it's quite obvious that you couldn't get it up even if you used a crane. <laughs> it's quite funny. <laughs> and then at one point, like they keep calling her behind her back this broad, which is hilarious because that happens a lot in these 80s video nasties that we've been watching. And yes. um they say like because she's she's quite moody and harsh and cold and they can't sort of flirt with her she won't allow it so they just say oh is there something wrong with her or is she just married because <laughs> uh. like she won't kind of succumb to their charms which is really funny she's just quite a grumpy woman <laughs> yeah how i miss the 80s yeah all that 80s hair and power dressing yeah big yeah. her I kind of, uh, as a bit of a, an aside, I do kind of wonder what feminists would think if they actually watch these films. It's quite lucky that a lot of these films are like really, really underground, and yet your common man on the street ain't going to be aware of films like this. They're not going to be watching their sort of seventies or eighties Italian exploitation. Uh, I do imagine what they would think if they saw a film even like this, which isn't even really that bad on the whole misogyny front. But yeah. <laughs> It'd be uh, yeah, quite interesting, let's put it that way. Um, speaking of which, there is a scene, and it happens quite a lot in Italian films, where um, our main character, Mr Hubbard, who incidentally is played by Ian McCulloch, who is the main character in Zombie Flesh Eaters, that's another Zombie Flesh Eaters reference coming up there, um, basically <laughs> he slaps her, and she seems to like it. Yeah, she says, oh yeah, we understand each other now. I think she quite likes it that he doesn't take shit from her, you know, he stands up for himself, so... Quite interesting, but again, not sure if that would be very PC these days. No, no, I, I don't think it would. No, particularly because, you know, as I said, like, she just doesn't seem that bothered. She's like, oh, good. I'm glad you slapped me. Awesome. <laughs> She's quite happy about it. That's closely followed by a scene of a carnival when they go to South America. And they've got some quite bizarre scenes. I'm pretty sure it looks like there's a child smoking a cigar. <laughs> and then there's a man smoking like a gigantic cigar, like bigger than you've ever seen in your life. Uh, which once again would probably not be condoned in t today's world. Um, yeah, you definitely wouldn't be allowed to have children smoking cigars but i mean that whole section like i said at the start of this review it just it just reminded me of a shit james bond film it's the sort of thing you'd get in like i don't know moonraker or something like that because you've got sort of he, he is like a bond villain we don't even really know why he's planning on bringing all these eggs or whatever the fuck they're supposed to be to earth anyway he never really explains what the point of all this is he's just bringing them to earth for some reason and then trying to what blow everyone up 
Yeah, trying to. It was his original plan seemed to be to blow up the whole of New York City by getting it delivered, but he just seems to be brainwashed by the Cyclops, which he brought over as a seed, which is just really weird. And they're very closely connected, and it, he's just being controlled by this being that he's brought back from Mars, and they don't even know if it's the real him. It's all a little bit vague and quite over the top. Um, yeah, I mean. So uh, not not my favourite of films. Not terrible, but not brilliant either. Some quite cool blippy computer music going on <laughs> in this, which does feel very eighties. Yeah, very very old looking computers, which uh, again, that's the thing that I always find interesting in films like this, where it's like, yeah, this this looks so old, <laughs> like just like just the yeah. buttons and just the desks that they're using are just ridiculous. Um, yeah. yeah, and you got a good old classic um, romance um, kissing scene at the end, which was very very predictable. And kind of annoying, but of course, does feel very Bond esque again, like you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, the only things, as I mentioned, apart from the music, uh, basically the explosions, which does so- seem to form up about half a death. So I would say is people's chests exploding and their guts just flying out everywhere. Which, uh, as a man who likes his gore, I thought was pretty fucking awesome, to be honest. Yeah, and the practical effects were really cool. Actually, it's quite effective. Yeah, the only thing I would say, though, is the way you would have to do it is almost be like a squib effect, so it just looks like everyone's really fat. Yeah, I know, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, they <laughs> were just funny. really fat, and their stomachs, they ate too much, and, like, Mr. Creosol, and it's just a waff of thin mint, and then, boom, a uh, yeah. explosion. Exactly, explosion. We've got, um, I counted 17 deaths in this film, that includes the Cyclops, so I guess 16, really. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of them do follow that format, which is pretty cool. And you do find yourself looking forward to those explosions as the film goes on. Uh, so yeah, really awesome. Yeah, I mean, the film overall, I mean, I don't hate the film. It was kind of fun. I'd never seen it before. It's not something I particularly want to watch again. Uh, the bits in the middle where it turned into a Bond film were very very slow and sort of tedious particularly the scene i mentioned earlier because it goes on for five minutes jesus <laughs> while we're sort of trying to build this tension of well will the guys go into a room or won't they and they drag it out for so long it's like just go mm. in the fucking room you're going to go in the room we know you are she's not gonna die it's just a fucking egg in the corner of the room it's not gonna move just go in just put us out of our fucking misery please so uh yeah, I know. It's like they both kind of fancy her, so each of them thinks that they're trying to get into her pants, which they probably are. Yeah. So, But they think the world's ending, so who can blame them, you know? Well, you've got the police in the background at your end, so maybe like, maybe the world is coming to an end. We just don't know it. Always is where I live, anyway. <laughs> yes. Uh, one other cool part was um, when uh, our guy, Tony Arras, does get eaten by the Cyclops. I quite... Like to the end part where you see his shoe going last it was very cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I I thought that was quite cool as well. Yeah, he got swallowed whole, like you say, like a snake. Yeah, liked it. Um, yeah, I think did think this was a little bit of a silly film. Not one that I would watch another on another occasion. One watch is enough for me. <laughs> no, me too. Um, is it a video nasty? Uh, I'm gonna say no. 
I'm also going to say no, because really the only thing in it that you might even possibly get offended by is lots of stomachs exploding, which isn't going to bother me, and I can't see why it would bother any other people, apart from if you're really, really squeamish. Yeah, I mean, I think I felt more bothered about the rat exploding than the humans, to be honest. Yeah, I get that, but that wasn't a real rat, so... I know, but then, you know, you kind of think to yourself, oh, (laughs) but what if it was? Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Um, (laughs) So this film, if if our review hasn't put you off watching it, this film and Inferno, incidentally, because I forgot to mention this earlier, are actually both available from Arrow. So you can buy this film on Blu-ray and indeed on DVD. So if you want to check it out, Arrow is the place to go for all your Dario Argento and indeed your contamination needs, I would say. Mm. Excellent stuff. So we move on to our final film for this show. And we're going to, because I'm going to just say it, we've only got seven video nasties left to go before we've watched all 72. Wow. (laughs) We've been doing this for quite a long time. And the seven movies that we have left are all zombie movies. So if you like your zombies, like most people seem to do these days, then yeah, this film and indeed the next two shows that we're doing are all zombie related. So if you like your living dead, check basically the yeah, check the, the next two shows out. Maybe not necessarily the next film that we're going to talk about though, which is Zombie Creeping Flesh, one of the films with about a million alternative titles, is also known as the following Virus, Hell of the Living Dead, Night of the Zombies, very original title there, Zombie <laughs> Inferno, and my personal favourite, Zombie 4. <laughs> oh my god. Right, okay. (laughs) Again, it's a 1980 film. uh, And the synopsis is, a tough female reporter and her cameraman boyfriend team up with a four-man commando unit in the New Guinea jungle who are fighting flesh-eating zombies. This film is utterly ridiculous. (laughs) Let's face it. Uh, It's cheesy. The music's by Goblin again, very interestingly enough. Well... Yes, now this is one of the interesting things about this film. So the director of this film is very infamous kind of shit Italian director, Mr. Bruno Mattai, who uh, uses his alias Vincent Dawn for this film. And interestingly, this film was written and possibly co-directed by Claudio Fagrasso, who is a director of Troll 2. (laughs) Oh my god. (laughs) Who also worked with Mattai quite a lot. So yeah... Bruno Mattai, for those of you who don't know, which will probably be a lot of you, um, because he's quite a uh, very, very cult director. He's even more cult than someone like Andrea Bianchi or even someone like, I don't know, Jess Franco, or even someone like that, because his films are basically notoriously shit. This is actually probably his best film, which is saying something, because it's also shit. But I've only seen one other film of his, and it was absolutely incompetent beyond all <laughs> kind of recognition, to the point it's not even funnily bad, it's just bad. Which it, film would that be? So that was a Jallo, believe it or not. Um, it was called something like Eyes Without a Face. It was something like that. I can't remember what it was called, but it was utterly shit. Incidentally, Matai, he also directed Zombie Free, which is the sequel to, well, unofficial sequel anyway, to Zombie Flesh Eaters, a film called Rats Night of Terror. I can only uh, imagine what that was like. Oh, I've seen that. It's awesome. So bad. <laughs> 
Yeah, I can imagine. It's so bad, it's amazing. <coughs> yes. And also, uh, interestingly, and I'm not making this up, Terminator 2. Oh, wow. What? So, before James Cameron released Terminator 2, Bruno Mattai made a film called Shocking Dark, where one of the alternative titles for it is, in fact, Terminator 2. And on the box art, they've clearly made the cover art so it's someone who kind of looks like Arnie in Terminator on the front cover. Now, it's actually nothing like Terminator. I've not seen it, but apparently it's actually more like Alien or something like that. But yeah, it's actually quite flagrant in its kind of how much it steals, really. So, yeah. Jesus. It needs to be a bit more original. I mean, I liked um, Rat's Night of Terror. I'd recommend it if you like really bad B-movies that you should watch that. Um, Zombie Creeping Flesh, I think, is an awesome title. But yeah, this film is a little ridiculous. Not sure if I recommend this at all. No. Now, you mentioned... (laughs) Well, I I agree. I think this film, it's not totally shit. There's aspects of it that I think are absolutely hilarious that we're going into. And yeah, you mentioned the score is by Goblin... It is a score by Goblin, but it's actually the score for Dawn of the Dead that they did, and also one of the songs that they used in Boyo Omega, which I mentioned on a previous mm. show. It's directed by Joe D'Amato. So it's not even original music by Goblin. Like, if you've... Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong, the music is awesome, but it was awesome in Dawn of the Dead. <laughs> yeah, and it, it does actually feel like he's just reused Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead concepts and you know just ripped it off for the whole film so you can't help but feel that way about it and again it brings me back to my point that Bruno needs to be a bit more original (laughs) yeah so he's basically ripped off the whole plot of Dawn of the Dead pretty much wholesale there's even whole sections where you've got characters having these I think what's supposed to be very very political conversations so I think part of the film is supposed to be set in like Africa or the jungle or something like that. And you've got the president or whoever of the country talking. I think it's supposed to be the UN about how like, oh, you know, you've let my country down. My country's like overrun by zombies. And it just comes across just really amateurish. It's like you've just ripped this off of like the first 10 minutes of Dawn of the Dead. Yeah. Operation Sweet Death. Oh, God. <laughs> So cheesy. And then, like, they also have uh, an ill child, a little boy, who ends up biting somebody and turning into a zombie, which is just so stereotypical of this kind of film and, you know, done to death, really. Excuse the the, uh, figurative term there. (laughs) (laughs) Pun not intended. Accidentally Um, on purpose. Yeah, this film is utterly ridiculous. Again, it feels really long, but it's only an hour and 39 minutes. Um, and I counted around 32 or 34 deaths, I think. That's a guesstimate because it does get a little out of hand. Um, they've also got a lot of zombie extras in this and they're also painted really badly kind of grey-blue. A lot of them have black faces and it seems to start off quite well with the calibre of infected people and the prosthetics and the effects, practical effects and the makeup. And it seems to deteriorate as it goes along and there are more zombies and they've obviously had to just cut corners to get more of them on set. And then towards the end, they've got this hope kind of lab place um, which is where the whole operation starts. And they've got um, loads of kind of scientist zombies that have been like overrun. And some of them wearing high heels and cowboy boots. <laughs> it's just like a little ridiculous, all the white coats and the grey skin. 
And um, you've also got a lot of this wildlife stock footage kind of spliced in between aspects of the film, which just really feels like filler. And some of it is a little dark and a little sinister, which does kind of lend something to the film with its tone. But mostly it's not really that appropriate and feels a little strange. Yeah, it just... I, I can't... Well, fuck. I mean, yeah, there is a lot of stock footage in the film, like Rhea says, to the point where it almost becomes like self-parody because there's just that much of it. Like every couple of minutes, there's just a random shot of animals in the jungle, even animals that you wouldn't even think would be in the jungle. Like there's a whole like footage that they cut in of elephants. (laughs) Where in the jungle would there be fucking elephants? Yeah. And there's one where it's like, like hundreds of bats in the daytime. (laughs) It's like, what the fuck? And like, the funniest scene is that when that reporter, she says she's been studying tribes and she just takes off all of her clothes and there's like (laughs) close up of her boobs. And then she puts some like tribal paint on and like a sort of a, a grass skirt or whatever and like barely any clothes and she just runs off like semi-naked into the jungle to join the tribes to be like the person to communicate and all these tribal men just surround her and I honestly thought for a second that she's going to be like attacked or something because she's literally like probably the only sort of um, white-skinned person there she stands out like a sore thumb because she does look like a sort of modern western woman but just with this tribal paint on and uh, she's like just kind of walking in there, almost fully naked. It's really crazy, really hilarious how uh, they yeah. put that together. It's just <laughs> yeah, absolutely ridiculous how in front of this group of soldiers, who's just like yeah, I'm just going to take all my clothes off and yeah, just paint up, go into like this tribe's kind of area. Bear in mind, like we don't know who these tribe are. They could be cannibals for all we know. I'm surprised they weren't cannibals to be honest, because that was very popular around this time as well. Mm. So, there is one yeah. scene where one of the I think it's a breastfeeding mother and she's eating what looked like maggots. Yeah. Um which I guess is where some of the controversy comes from for this film. Um not sure what what else is there that's really controversial. I mean, there's quite a lot of shooting going on, there's quite a lot of like zombie biting. Um that's probably the most controversial bit that he's filming, which does feel a little bit sort of found footage-esque. Again, like Cannibal Holocaust sort of film in the New Guinea jungle. Um, it does have that feel to it, but not um, excessively, just a little bit. Yeah, because what this film, from reviews that I've read and seen of it, a lot of those reviews do mention that, like, oh, in these sections, it's got kind of a Mondo feel because you've got the use of the found footage and it's more, look at the weird natives, look what they're doing, look, this woman's eating maggots, look at these mm. people, they're dancing funny and stuff like that, which you would tend to get in a Mondo. But yeah. to me, it's just, Matai, I just don't think he knows what the fuck he's doing. So at the start of the film, <laughs> you've got these people in a power station, which was absolutely hilarious. It's my favourite bit of the whole film, just for some of the dialogue that you get in these scenes alone. I'll give you some more choice dialogue, which is as follows. May not know much about chemistry, but in bed, her reactions are terrific. I'm not surprised <laughs> with a cute little ass like that. Ha, huh. I'm a tit man myself. Oh god, yeah, I noted that bit down and then was just absolutely laughing hysterically at Operation Sweet Death later yeah. on. So yeah. there's also another bit where he says, 
and don't get your balls wasted. <laughs> yeah. Keep saying that about like saying about balls and stuff. Uh, also calls women quite a few times dumb broads. <laughs> And there's like one really sort of cliche, stereotypical um, code bit where they go, eagle calling bass. And it's just like, could it be any more obvious? Who wrote this shit? <laughs> well, the director of Troll 2 wrote it. That's why it's so <laughs> shit, probably. I don't know. There you go. And he says, um, it's hot as a horse's ass here. <laughs> yeah, it's just so bizarre. So yeah, it goes from the power station and then all of a sudden there's a siege where they're taking terrorists for some reason. It's like, what the fuck's going on? So I talked about Inferno earlier, how you've got this dreamlike feel, and the plot doesn't make any sense, but you can kind of appreciate it for, you know, dreamlike quality. And when we talk about the beyond, when we do Lucio Fulci, like, it's got a similar feel to that, where it's very nightmarish. This is just incompetent. It's like, we've got a power station, then we've got a siege, then we've got bunch of people in the jungle for some reason who the fuck are these people where the fuck have they come from then it becomes a cannibal film then it becomes a mondo film then it becomes like sort of a zombie film again and then it kind of rips off kind of you know dawn of the dead a lot so it's like you've got about five different films in one it's just yeah no wonder it felt so long because there's just way way too much happening I know, yeah, it's all just a mishmash and doesn't really make any sense. I didn't really like the terrorist bit. It's really over the top. The acting's so over the top. Uh, another controversial bit that may have pushed this film over the edge in terms of being banned was, um, again, a bit kind of Hannibal, cannibal holocausty. but, like, when she's looking at the tribal people in the jungle, they're gutting an animal. Um, and can't really tell what kind of animal it is. The hide looks kind of stripy. Um, but they've got the intestines out and they're kind of pulling them out everywhere and like putting their hands inside them and stuff. It's just really strange. <laughs> yeah, although the only thing I would say about that is you don't actually see the animal die. So the animal could have mm. died for I mean, natural causes for all we know. Yeah, but it's definitely real insides and it is gruesome. And then there's another part where it's quite obviously fake, but there's like a dead child or a dead person and there's like a topless mother that's rubbing something, some oils from him onto her body, which is quite weird. And then there's like another decaying body that's taken off into the jungle um, and put um, up on like a plinth. So yeah, that's kind of, I guess those are the scenes that got it banned because they probably thought it was a little too close to that kind of cannibalistic sort of film that we've had before, like very similar to that in that aspect of it. Yeah, uh, maybe I I wouldn't have banned this film personally, that's just me, but I can kind of see, like, uh, maybe, maybe, but uh, the film's just so inept, though. It's not horrible, there are bits of it that are kind of perversely entertaining. Um, I would say that the character of Zantoro, who's the crazy guy who's overacting like an absolute motherfucker, he kind of made it sort of almost worthwhile just by his sort of overacting with oh, the yeah, zombies and stuff like that. He's the badass of the film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And obviously, you know, the score's great. It was great when it was in the films that it was supposed to be in, but the score's quite good. And it's kind of unintentionally hilarious in a lot of places as well. Like, you've got all these characters, when they're getting attacked by zombies, they don't run away. They just stand there looking scared, waiting for the zombies to get as close to them as possible. Even though the zombies are, like, incredibly slow. And, like, by the way, these are probably the funniest zombies that I've ever seen. They're, like, so stiff and, like, 
just, yeah, hilarious, really. Yeah, and think of the ground that covers, by the way. Oh, yeah, I've watched a lot of zombie films with very bad zombies in. <laughs> yes, you have indeed. Yeah, so... Well, at one yeah. point, they sort of comment that there's a whole family of zombies, which I just found really funny. It's like this family in a house sort of walk out all together. It's just like, what? what's your point? <laughs> is it meant to be cute? I don't think it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, you've got a cliche of a zombie film where there's only one character that actually has any common sense, which is actually Zantoro, who sort of says, you've got to shoot him in the head. Everyone else is stupider than shoots them all in the body, and obviously they don't die. And it's only a Zantoro guy who actually goes, look, you've got to shoot him in the fucking head. Yeah, wasting bullets, goddammit. Yeah. There's also, at one point, they sort of go to this empty house, um, and it's like, it's kind of got a bit of a less, de- much less developed feel of 24 days later, uh, sorry, 28 days later in it. <laughs> Slightly fewer days, yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah um, let's call it 24 days, yeah, let's hurry up, yeah. <laughs> 28 <laughs> taking a shortcut you know um it's like a a very much less developed version of 28 days later um because it's just that feel of the house where they go into it and there's nothing there and they're not really sure what's going to happen and then this family of zombies comes out and zombies come out all around and they're kind of discovering them as they go around and there's like an old woman that's a zombie and you're not really sure you think she's like dead or asleep at first so it did have that kind of feel to it which was quite a cool aspect but it's so kind of dragged out um, with all the other stuff that's going on in this film and so kind of confusing that, like you've said, it just really doesn't know what it wants to be or where it wants to go. So it does become ridiculous, confusing and tedious. Yeah, although that old woman did have a cat randomly inside her guts. Oh, that was pretty cool, actually. I did like that part of it because it does look quite real and i think it's like a kitten so they (laughs) they did really put it into this um device or prosthetic and it has to get out so it is quite convincing there's one ridiculous scene where there's like loads of zombies at the window and the camera's like got that sort of point of view where you've got the hands coming towards it they do a lot of that in this film which again just feels very uh drawn out and protracted and very slow and unrealistic because yeah it's cool to see them in front of the camera and to feel like you're the person that they're coming towards but it's just not done in a very effective way it's done in a really false way so you end up having too much screen time for that because they just want to use it and then it just kind of gives this whole fake feel to it because you see there's the zombies a little too close up and you see how fake they look so it kind of ruins it yeah yeah there's a lot of that in films like this i gotta be honest which kind of kills the illusion um zombie makeup bar one or two examples that i can think of particularly the films of lucio fulci yeah him again um yeah zombie makeup not the best in films like this even in burial ground the andrea bianchi film which is uh yeah came out about a similar time to this yeah the zombie makeup in that wasn't really very convincing either yeah i know got one really funny line written down here when they're talking to the zombies again this the dub is like it's okay it's not ridiculous but some of the sentences used are just a little laughable because it just either tries too hard or it comes across as like weird and bit 
stiff. So at one point, the line is delivered to the zombies. You frigging ball breakers, do as you're told. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh, they've been very naughty boys, those zombies. <laughs> Definitely. And our, he- our hero, the rebel, he says, I'm one baby that they're not biting. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Jesus. The only other highlight I would say is there is a particularly violent death where a character gets their tongue ripped out and their eyeballs pushed out by a zombie hand, which goes right into her skull, which I I thought was pretty cool, i got to say. Yeah, that's our final girl, Leah. I thought that was really cool because somehow the prosthetic of her face, they got the eyelashes and the eyes to look quite realistic and like the tongue really wasn't, but it was cool the the angle of the camera when she was screaming because the zombies coming towards her. Her mouth was quite wide and then it just shows the tongue being ripped out whilst she's screaming. And the transition from her real face to this prosthetic one where they pushed the eyeballs out was really quite good even though it was just so close um yeah i think that was probably the coolest scene in the whole film for me yeah i would say so too which uh, is quite funny because actually happens about two minutes from the end yeah it's good climax but again it's just a little confusing and did feel very long even though it's actually not that long a film yeah yeah pacing not really all that great in a film like this so yeah so as i said i mean like contamination oddly enough it's sort of it's not completely without merit it's shit but it's kind of watchably shit if that makes sense yeah i mean it it feels like it's quite light because you really don't need to pay that much attention because it's changing pace so rapidly anyway and it doesn't make sense that you don't really get that invested in it but in terms of the visuals i mean even though I do feel like these days zombie movies are totally overdone and we've just seen so many, um, there is something about watching a zombie movie, especially an 80s one, that's quite enjoyable and just seeing some of the effort they make with um, cheap effects and things. Uh, it is laughable, but it is also watchable, like you say. Not one to watch numerous times, but quite fun, quite a fun watch. Yeah, I completely agree with your sentiments, yeah. You'd think, like, with technology being what it is now, where people can seemingly make movies for, like, hundreds of pounds, almost, that you would get sort of people with, like, a little ingenuity. But no, people are actually even lazier than something like this. So most zombie movies now, for the most part, are just shit. They're actually worse than this. This at least has some kind of character, and there's some kind of fun to it, I think, even though it is shit. Whereas... A lot of like these sort of straight to VOD movies now are just boring. It's boring as fuck. Yeah, I agree. It's just become so generic and uniform and just like it's been churned out on a conveyor belt and so similar. I mean, we don't really need to watch the same things be created again and again. And at least I do, do feel like they put more effort in back then. And there has been effort made with this, even if it, it's way, it's an amalgamation of way too many ideas put together, um, which I feel like he's done because he's just picked on aspects of films that may be popular and he couldn't decide on one and just wanted to give it more chance of being popular. So he's just mashed it all together. But it's not done itself any favours in doing that. It needs to be more um, of a well-written film, not just a, a compilation of anything that they feel might sell unfortunate that they've done it that way 
Yeah, definitely. So, uh, yeah, if you want to see a film that's a zombie movie crossed with sort of a, a war movie, crossed with a sort of Mondo movie, crossed with a sort of cannibal movie with a score ripped off from Goblin... Then, with yeah, terrorists. With terrorists <laughs> in it as well, who are dispatched yeah. pretty quickly, I have to say. They're pretty shit terrorists. Yeah, and I don't know if it's as good as Troll 2 in terms of hilariously bad, laughable oh, God, no. and enjoyable. No, no but way. it has got a flavour of that, let's just say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Troll, <laughs> Troll 2 wouldn't have been a video nasty, not by any stretch of the imagination, and neither, I would say, is this film. Yeah, I mean, despite the maggot-eating and the intestines um, and such like, uh, I'm going to say no. Well, there you go. So, three non-video nasties on the show today, really, the BBFC, maybe a little bit too sensitive in those days. I think they would be offended by, by anything. Maybe they would have survived a lot better these days, let's put it that way. The well, I mean, sensitive I guess- people in the world. I guess the tongue being ripped out and the eyes coming out is what really sold it, but it's hard to say. I think maybe back then we would have said yes, but now it just like doesn't affect me whatsoever, so I'm going to say no. So, um, if you would like to buy this one on DVD, you can in fact do so from 88 Films. You talked about earlier, sort of, uh, you wouldn't want to watch this film over and over and over again. If you did want to watch this film over and over and over again, don't recommend that, by the way, then that's kind of how you would do it. So, uh, yeah, 88 Films, those guys again, them and Arrow are kind of the two kind of key sort of uh, places to go for your video nasty needs, particularly the Italian films. Hmm. So we've got uh, zombie films coming up, which is pretty damn cool. I am looking forward to that. So six more left to go. That's not very many um, with our episodes coming out every fortnight on a Sunday and you can catch the complete back catalogue as well on iTunes, YouTube and so on and so forth. So we don't have very many more left to go. Can't believe it. Yeah, I know. There's only two Video Nazis episodes to go, as I mentioned earlier, all zombie-related films. So, uh, yeah, really looking forward to those. Rhea's stolen my plugs, mm-hmm. so, but I will persevere nonetheless. So you can find us, if you have not done so already, on Facebook under the Lament Configuration podcast, on our dedicated YouTube channel, also under that name, on Twitter, at Lament Horror. Uh, you can find a podcast also on Stitcher, on Podbean, and on TuneIn Radio. Yes, and I, as always, have been reoffend. That's F-E-N-D. You can find my um, Facebook page, my public modelling and actress page um, under reoffend. And I am sailing past 66,000 likes and followers at the moment. So thank you so much to everybody who's joined me on there. I'm also on instagram and twitter as ria underscore fend and greg i'm very excited that i'll be taking up some more acting work um soon um a little bit of uh bit parts and background work but i'll be on tv and hopefully in some films soon so exciting times ahead for me i'm very happy about that yes definitely and uh like I mentioned earlier, very interesting. We've got two films that are scored by Goblin, but they, uh, I'm going to leave you today with uh, a song that's taken from Inferno, which is actually from Keith Emerson. So I really, really love this song. I hope you guys love it too. And we'll catch you on the next show for some zombies. Bye. See you on the flip side.
Let's see, imagine, in the 